Welcome to episode number 87 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Mariners outfielder Dom Canzone for a discussion. We also wrap up our thoughts on the Mitch Garver signing over Christmas, anything we might have missed there, and what's next for the Mariners and who could be out there for the budget they have left. Your reminder before we start the show, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to follow us, download our episodes, leave us that five-star review wherever you get your audio pods. That really does help us out a ton. Go like, comment, subscribe on YouTube where our full video podcast is, and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Tuesday, December 26th, right around noontime. Lyle, uh, we did take some time to record around the holidays, but now that it is post-holiday, how are we feeling? Relaxed. I was starting to feel that sense of relief when we got the passing bomb on Christmas Eve, and now there's just a sense of relaxation. I'm not saying I'm happy with the Mariners offseason as a whole. They still need to do more. They still need to go add. But to just have Garver into the fold, to see them make a signing, to see them improve the offense, this is a good sign, and I'm feeling good about it. I was a little disappointed, though, in some of the other response. I think we were trying to gauge an early response when we recorded our emergency episode on Christmas Eve about that it didn't seem like it was a consensus like from a lot of Mariners fans. And man, I'm, I'm going to say like that rings true as ever 48 hours later. I, I don't, I, I think there was a lot of skepticism in this trade and there's a lot of, to go back to a point we made in the, the Christmas Eve episode, which is like, you guys can't just keep saying if he's healthy, you guys can't keep saying that because that's such a hypothetical. And that, I mean, that's not how you should think you should have, you should be signing a player who's not that you don't have to say if he's healthy. Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but we assume every player's production on the roster if they're healthy or not. Like that's it. Julio, if he's healthy, is an American League MVP candidate. You know what happened in his rookie season? He wasn't an MVP candidate because he was hurt for 30 games. Like that's the point, guys. Also, I understand Garver has flaws. We understand Garver has flaws. There's a reason he's costing $12 million a year, not 30 But let's also give yourself a little bit of a reminder here, Teach. There are people on... If you're gauging responses off social media, there are people in our comments that said, I don't want Shohei Otani. So, of course, there's people that say, I don't want Mitch Garver. And this signing, that that it has now come to come to light. I mean, we we envisioned this when we, again, recorded that emergency episode, but now ringing true more than ever after it's been reported by multiple beat writers talked about on MLB network, et cetera, that Garver, the plan for Garver is to DH like that is his going to be his role. And it is going to be out of almost out of necessity to try and keep him healthy. The uh, Ryan Divish, I think reported that they're only going to catch him if it's an emergency, there's not going to be this scenario where, Okay, Garver's going to be the lefty masher of the catchers, and he's going to be behind behind the plate every time there's a lefty on the bump. Uh, no, no, that's not that's not going to be the case. Garver is not going to be behind the plate whenever there's a lefty on the bump. I would again, I would be pretty shocked at this point after seeing some of the response if Garver's behind the plate more than fifteen times. That even seems a little high. 
What we learned in the last couple of days and what Divish just said on MLB Network today, it confirmed for everybody. Sebi Zavala, barring injury, is going to be on the roster and Mitch Garver is not going to be catching a lot. He's going to DH. That's pretty set in stone, which is okay because you know why Garver's missed a lot of time over his career? He does spend a lot of time behind the plate. He's never been a full-time DH. He's been asked to catch. If he really only DHs here in Seattle, again, this is on the idea that he stays healthy, but you have to think if he's only going to DH, his chances of playing close to a full season go way up. It would be kind of skeptical of the Mariners if they ever planned on putting him behind the plate because it, it would be almost too much of a risk to spend $12 million on somebody. I mean, let me just list some of these injuries. Forearm surgery, intercostal strain, which is your ribs. He has knee, groin, and back problems. Like, that's not someone you want back there for, I don't know, say he's the backup catcher. He'd be back there for 50 games in a season. Do you want him to have 50 games worth of wear and tear on that body? No, not really. You want to get your money's worth with Mitch Garver. So that's going to be the case. He's going to be in the lineup, I would imagine, versus both lefties and righties. However, something we didn't really highlight, and again, we highlighted back on our offseason wish list of, what Mitch Garver did in 2023. He's a lefty masher. He he mashes lefties. Though I will say, Lyle, when we decided to to re-highlight this point, it's not that he doesn't hit righties. Like, let me remind people. Here's here's the two opposites of Mitch Garver's 2023 season. Against lefties, he walked six percent more of the time that he struck out. And he had an on-base percentage of five hundred against lefties. That's pretty bonkers to start with, right? And you'd be like, wow, how how could you be better against righties at that point? Well, he didn't actually hit a single home run against lefties all season long. He hit all 19 of his home runs against righties. So the power was against righties. The on-base pedigree was against lefties. The WRC plus against lefties was 170. Against righties, it was 127. So pick your poison. He's going to be in the lineup against both. Isn't that kind of wild that he didn't hit a single home run against the Southpaw this past year, but he WRC plus 70% above league average? That's pretty wild. You don't usually see guys put up numbers like that without home runs. No, you don't. And it, and it was kind of odd because yeah, he still struck out a, a decent amount versus right-handers, so not seeing the ball quite as well. Meanwhile, against lefties, his strikeout rate was 14%. Like 14%. That's pretty silly. I like that. So he's contact against lefties. He's power against righties. Pick your, like you just said it perfectly. Pick your poison. Mitch Garber is going to bring some element of threat to the plate, no matter who's on the mound, lefty or righty. And again, this still leaves the, the door open for Cal to hit versus both lefties and righties. And, and, and this brought back up the point where people, I think, were kind of discounting Cal as a right handed hitter. He's like a perfectly fine right handed hitter for a catcher. Like the, the bar for catchers hitting is not that high. And I think Cal clears it on both sides of the plate. I think we'd prefer him to hit lefty. But if he needs to hit righty, that's perfectly acceptable for Cal Raleigh. And it doesn't mean the Mariners need to force Mitch Garver behind the plate just to be like, oh, oh he has a 170 WRC plus. Well, you know what? Given how the Mariners roster is right now, he can still DH versus righties and lefties. No problem. It's not like there's anyone going to take his job. We said there was two big things we wanted to rehash here on this show. We wanted to talk about Mitch Garver's success against lefties and his overall dominance at the plate when he's on the field, which we did months ago when we highlighted him. But the second point we wanted to bring up, which we did not bring up in our reaction show on Saturday, is 
This is the Mariners' most expensive position player signing in the Jerry DePoto era. They did it. They did it. They actually have now one-upped in the past two years. A.J. Pollock last year, the one year for $7 million, which was a new high. It was a new high last year. And now they've blown it out of the water with a big, fat, two-year, $24 million extension for Mitch Garver. That is the most money Jerry DePoto has ever paid a position player since he got to Seattle in free agency. Three times as much. Unreal. That That is pretty unreal. And you know, it's only the fourth multi-year deal they've ever given out under him. The list is pretty sad. Do you think you could guess the other three? I was going to say, I think I can get this. So this includes pitchers, right? Yes, it does. And are we including in-house extensions or just free agency? Just free agents. Okay, so we've got Garver. We've yep. got Robbie. Yep. We've got... Oh, no. Mm. Not those yeah, two. I, it took me a minute to think of these last night. It, well, it, they are a little bit under the radar. Guys you don't expect would garner a multi-year deal. Who did they get in 2017? Did they bring any free agents around that time? Am I around, <laughs> am I around the time period? No. Nope. No? Nope. Later. Hmm. How am I blanking on this so badly? Starting pitchers? One was a big part of the Shohei Otani rumors. Oh, wait, no. I was going to say D. Gordon, but that was a trade. No. Hmm. Big part of the Shohei rumors. He might have rented out a restaurant. Oh, duh. Okay, Kikuchi. There we go. You got one more. Hmm. Is it around the same time period? Two years later. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say Kikuchi. That is kind of a unique one because that was right in the middle of the rebuild, yet they still signed him. That was like the first real year of the rebuild. So 2021. Hitter or pitcher? Pitcher. Man, I'm struggling with this. Why am I struggling so badly with this? Do you want me to just tell you? Yeah, go ahead. Give it to me. It's Chris Flexen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I was going to say, those last two were not like snap of the finger. I'm going to get it right away. Maybe I should have gotten Kikuchi, but yeah, Flexen. Yeah, I had to double check because it was four. I'm like, so was it Flexen? Yeah, Flexen got a two-year deal. And to think those are the only four ever in eight years that they've signed to a multi-year deal. That's it's pretty staggering to look at. That is staggering. They do not spend a lot of money in free agency, that's for sure. And again, this isn't including the trade for and extending Luis. This isn't including Julio. But, yeah, I mean, what do they say, right? Draft, develop, and trade, like it or not, that is how they operate. And those four signings highlight it perfectly. Before we get to our conversation with Dom, Canzone, Lyle, let's take a look at what's coming up next in this Mariners offseason. So the budget is sitting right now. Budget, let's say the current payroll, sorry, the different terminology. The current payroll sits at about $128.5 million. They are $11.5 million from where their 2023 payroll finished at $140 million. I'm going to guess when Jerry says they're going to go over that mark, let's stretch it to 145 in technical terms. So they have about uh, that point seventeen ish million dollars to spend if my math checks out with that. So with $17 million left, there's still some options in free agency, and there's plenty of options that we have highlighted in trades. Let me read you off some names that are within the budget that are still out there and still available uh, per Spotrack. Okay, Jock Peterson is projected to make $15 million. I honestly have been kind of buying into this a little bit more after taking a peek at his at his fan graphs page. Jock Peterson makes a lot of sense. That would take up most of the budget, but 
he brings you everything you would need. Michael Brantley, about $9 million is his projected salary. Jorge Soler, I'm still going to put him on there for now because he's still a free agent, $13 million per season. Wet Merrifield is worth about six. Adam Duvall, five. Eddie Rosario, six. Robbie Grossman, seven. And then Reese Hoskins on the high end at $21 million, which would come probably after a Thai France trade if they felt that was the route they wanted to go. And then Tommy Pham would be worth about $5 million. Any of those stick out? I like Jock Peterson, not for $15 million bucks a year. Doesn't that feel a little high for a guy that's basically a platoon player and has not really strung together a good full season in a long while now? Well, he was pretty good the last two seasons. Okay, define define good. Good hitting season. I mean, last year he was at 147 WRC+. Plus. This year was like a 111. His strikeout rate was down. His walk rate was back up. I mean, definitely a productive bat. It would certainly make the, the Mariners better. It would be better than what they have in the outfield right now. What I'm trying to gauge is, would you pay $15 bucks a year for Jock Peterson? If it was the last move of the offseason, probably not. But again, he does. He would make them better. Like they would, the lineup would get better, flat out. They would probably, the lineup would probably be as good as it was last year if they signed Jock Peterson right now. Oh, it makes them better because signing Jock Peterson means one of those utility guys is not playing the outfield every day. So of course it makes them better. I'm just trying to think about is 15 million bucks a year for him worth the bang for your buck? Like there is a reason Jock Peterson has bounced around a little bit from time to time and hasn't stuck in one place because people have decided that even though he has flashes and even though when he debuted years ago that he was a top prospect, he hasn't really, he hasn't lived up to that, right? Like he's had flashes of it. He's never lived up to it. That's yeah, that's fair. And the Mariners probably wouldn't sign him to enough years to make the AAV go down. But I'm going to say, Lyle, if that's what, if they sign Jock Peterson to a short deal, that's the average they're paying. They, Cause they wouldn't string it out. Like, Hey, Jock, we'll give you six years. So the AAV could be like, 11 or 12. I think I like the Adam Duvall idea a little bit better than I do Jock. I think Adam Duvall might, one, he's a right-handed bat, which they need. Two, he's, I mean, yes, they just signed Garver, but this team still needs more right-handed bats. I think Duvall's, I like Duvall's power a little bit. I know he's had some Mm -hmm. injury problems too in his career, but I also think for what he'd cost, which will be less than 15 million bucks a year, I might like that a little bit better. And then, if you want, that could still free you up to make one major trade that might cost a little bit more money. Duvall does have some strikeout problems, too. He struck out over 30% of the time each of the last couple of seasons. And, you know, that's unfortunately probably a deal breaker, even though you and I would be totally okay with strikeouts at this point. I think other interesting ones, I mean, Tommy Pham, I still think can be a productive player and today's big leagues in in the right role. I think Reese Hoskins, if they really thought they would move on from Ty France and package him in some sort of deal, would at least be a very a productive first baseman and more of a proven hitter, I would say, than Ty France has been with all the inconsistencies he's had. Robbie Grossman hasn't really been a great player, but for $7 million, that's not terrible. Eddie Rosario hasn't been good in a while either. You floated Whit Merrifield to me yesterday. Whit Merrifield is... I just don't know if I would really buy that offense. His offense is really kind of kind of taking a hit. And he's he's honestly low key getting up there in age. I didn't even realize how old he is in his mid thirties. That seems like a a little bit of a stretch. 
I was just trying to think of a way where you don't have Luis Urias playing third base every day. Because if you sign Witt, which is not a perfect idea, but it is an idea, then you have Urias and Rojas platoon at third rather than second, and Merrifield can play second. And if he, again, he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to be an all-star. I mean, I don't know how he was an all-star last year. That's a conversation in itself. But if he puts up two wins and plays second base, I'd be okay with that. If he can WRC plus 105. But he hasn't done that in a while. No, he hasn't. So that and that's where we run into problems because, yeah. It, again, this was an idea, right? Yeah. After thinking about it more, I was like, okay, maybe this isn't the perfect solution. But the problem is, again, you just cannot run Luis Urias out there every day as your third baseman. So I'm trying to think of ideas of how they can do that. Now, if they're willing to spend on Reese Hoskins, I would certainly be open to the idea of a tie France trade because if you trade France, you would have to assume in that scenario you will get back either somebody who can play third base or another outfielder so it would fill another need and france you could package with one of the starters if unless instead of packaging one of your prospects you could actually package a full-time big leaguer which would be a little bit more valuable than throwing in a lottery chip so the trade options that we've highlighted that are still available i mean the reds guys jonathan india or perhaps spencer steer are available the reds have infielders they need to get off their chest the rays we have talked about that at length the Cardinals and the Mariners have been linked forever with uh, a number of trades. I think you and I still like the idea of trading with the Orioles if we want to give them a pitcher. And in return, the Royal, the Orioles will give back the Mariners an infielder, one of their young bats, some someone of the future, and someone with a ton of upside. Jazz Chisholm from the Marlins, not quite sure if he'd be available, but he would fit as well. And then Jack Sawinski of the of the Pirates is a name you flowed to me just before we started recording. And that could be another option there. So like all these would be within the budget because these options wouldn't be the most expensive in the world. But these would now require you to trade a pitcher. And Divish reiterated today, they would really prefer not to trade one of those pitchers. Now, they could trade Castillo. He brought that up today. I think that's getting blown out of the water. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. We've seen that a little bit this offseason. I know Divish has talked about it. I know Adam Jude's talked about it a little bit. I'm sure it's an idea. Like, And when I say I'm sure it's an idea, I'm saying I'm sure teams maybe would call about it. I'm sure that I, – I understand why in their eyes it makes sense, right? Because you're saying he's a little bit older. He's he's not 24 years old the way Miller and Wu are, and maybe you could get a haul back from I just don't think they're doing that. I mean, do you – look – they just gave him an extension. What a terrible look that would be if they packaged him away right now when they're trying to win. Even mm. if they got some real young pieces back for him, I think that would be a disaster, not just within the clubhouse, but the idea as a whole. He is your dog. He's your ace. He, he, he like, And he's under control for four more years at least. He's got to stay there. You don't have to convince me. <laughs> you really don't have to convince me. I, I think the only way that idea actually should be realistically considered is if you can in turn add significant payroll and impact on the other side. And it would probably be in the form of bats. You'd be like, Hey, we can add significant salary and bats and not only current, but future as well. And promise future payroll to some more impact bats. Oh, you floated this idea out there basically as a joke on our Saturday episode for our reactionary Garver signing podcast. If the Orioles said one for one Luis Castillo for Gunnar Henderson, sure, then I would entertain the idea. The Orioles are absolutely not going to do that, so we can end the discussion right there. Therefore, I do not think in any scenario you're trading Luis Castillo. Right. That's the scenario where it's okay. Otherwise, 
terrible PR look and would be right in line with this offseason. <laughs> yeah, it would. Do you th- what could Emerson Hancock get back for him? Not Gunnar Henderson. No, not Gunnar Henderson, but I'm I'm tying it now back to the idea of if you make a trade with one of these teams or with somebody we're not thinking of. It probably would not get or not probably. It would not get you back a parade ace in a Rosarena, even Jack Swinsky from the Pirates, who's very controllable and has had some success. But Jonathan India. Can he get you back somebody that can play third base that's not Jonathan India? Mm, every like day? It, no. If you were to if you were to package Hancock and another prospect. No. Could you get Spencer every single Steer? day? No. No, no, no. Hang on. For Spencer Steer, if you got Hancock and like an upper end prospect. Depends what the Reds think of Emerson Hancock. I don't know what their evaluation system is. If they're high on Hancock and they think he could stay healthy and they think he's a big league starter, sure, they might entertain the idea, but if they don't believe he's a big league starter, then no. I don't know if the Mariners think Emerson Hancock's a big league starter right now. So if they they don't think that, then why would the Reds say, hey, okay, now let's give away a full-time big league or big league infielder for someone who we're not even certain is going to start and is well past his top-tier prospect days? It's a question to consider. I'm not saying they do it, but I'm just trying to float out ideas here. If you if you gave them one of the young shortstops in your farm system along with Hancock, could it get you back as Spencer Steer? I'm not saying for sure. I'm saying maybe. I'm just trying to, again, I'm trying to avoid this whole India thing. I just, we've talked about it now enough. I do not think that makes the team all that much better, and he would cost a decent haul. Yeah. Yeah, he would, but that's all uh, what's on Jerry's plate right now of what they got to figure out. The, it, the time they have started adding, they now need to keep adding and keep adding couple more pieces that will make them better before we get to our interview with dom canzone let's take a quick pause and talk to you about our friends over at pagotcha's pub 85 i was just there last week hanging out with some friends because it's a great spot to hang out they got some great pizza full drink menu there's 22 tvs in the place and if you show up during happy hours you get some great specials those are monday through friday 2 to 6 p.m three dollar domestic beers four dollar manny's blue moons $4 $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wine. Get all that and go hang out with your friends over at Pagotcha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. So what did you take away from this Dom Canzone interview? Well, I took away something that I kind of suspected, but but it's nice to hear someone confirm it, is that Dom Canzone is not a very online person, and good for him, right? He's pro- He probably has a much healthier lifestyle than the rest of us who spend all day online. That doesn't mean he doesn't see the funny stuff, Lyle. That doesn't mean the good stuff goes over his head, and I'm glad he caught right on when we, we brought something up that he, would, uh, that he would recognize. And it was also, you know, just very good to talk to, talk to another talent, although it does sound like he's reconsidering his celebration for next season, so you guys are going to have to listen closely for that. Yeah, I didn't like the sound of that. There is a reason behind it. What is that reason? You'll hear it in the interview. But if it was up to me, I'd have him keep it. Also, what percent Italian even are you? Me? 25%. Okay. 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 Yeah. So not not quite Dom Cantone level. But yeah. still Italian roots. Yeah, enough. <laughs> All right, let's get to our conversation now with Mariners outfielder Dom Canzone. All right, we've got Mariners outfielder Dom Canzone on with us. Okay, I saw you were at the Browns-Bears game this past weekend. I'm making you take some truth serum here to start. Did your heart stop on that Hail Mary? Yeah, we definitely thought uh, he he caught that ball, and uh, that would have been a long uh, walk back to the car. So uh, 
Thank God Darnell Mooney was able to drop that for us. And that, it was such an electric game, too, coming back like that. It was so much fun. That would be the most, like, Browns thing ever to happen, though, right? Yeah, that's why I think everybody was just expecting them to catch that Hail Mary. So it was a giant sigh of relief and honestly probably a little bit of a shock. You talk about guys, like, you see guys on the sidelines sometimes, right, if they drop a pass or they fumble the football about doing push-ups and stuff to make up for it. I wonder how many push-ups Darnell Mooney's doing at practice this week. I don't know, 200 or something like that after that one? Yeah, that that's a tough one, right in his hands. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I got... I got nothing for him on that one, but thank God he's on the other side. What's the Browns' ceiling, by the way? What like what do you think it is going forward? Because obviously they've got Flacco the rest of the year. Like, how far do you think this team can go? I mean, we try to be hopeful, but goodness, I mean, just the la- I mean, basically my whole life it's just been really tough to kind of kind of root for him. But as as a diehard fan, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we can win a game or two in the playoffs and. Hopefully beyond that, but it, it's tough with all the injuries we've had too. I mean, Deshaun went down, Chubb went down, got a couple offensive linemen down. Uh, everybody's banged up, so uh, I'm just really happy that they're even in a playoff position. To be honest, I was to say I think you know personally how a lot of Mariners fans feel when they made the playoffs in 2022, as when the when the Browns finally made the playoffs in 20 and won a game, and you know Baker was looking good and everything. I mean, that, that feeling must have been over the moon, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And then obviously you get a little greedy and you want more. So uh, obviously we're both organizations are striving for that. Okay, if we're on the topic of football here, are we gonna have ha- are we gonna have to have a talk with Tommy DeVito? Because the dude's stealing your celebration here on national TV. Like, like, how do you feel about all this? <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a couple uh, text messages about that, but I mean, uh, it's tough, man, it, to compete with his agent too. I mean, that guy looks like about the most Italian guy I've ever seen as well. So. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be tough to take it back. I don't know if I should stick with it or maybe come up with something different, but uh, we'll we'll see, I guess, as the season goes along. Do you know if that guy reps baseball players? I have no clue, but I don't don't know. I don't know if, uh, I don't know. It's different in football because you can see him on the sidelines and stuff. And I don't know. Um, I'm pretty happy with my agency as well, too. So Okay, I got it. Oh, I'll say you can get him as a secondary agent. I, I feel like you just <laughs> need to need to bring the Italians a little bit more, a little bit more into the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the agent, though, like stays a little under the radar, is a little bit better too, though. So we'll see. Okay, I got to follow up on something you just said. I don't know if you're breaking some news here. Are you actually thinking about getting rid of the celebration next year? I'm not sure yet. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, Devito kind of did take it away, but. Um, I feel like the fans really like it, so I, I probably will stick with it. But um, if he takes it over and it's his, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I should do yet. Who are the other most Italian people in baseball? Uh, I mean, gosh, it's both the Fletchers, definitely pretty Italian. They were, they were on Team Italy this year. Honestly, anybody from Team Italy uh, is definitely going to be pretty Italian. So hoping to play for them uh, in, the ne- in the next World Baseball Classic would be awesome. Okay, I know TJ has one more Italian-level question for you. We were talking about this before you got on, so I'll tee him up for it. Yeah, Dom, so this is this is deep cut. Is it sauce or gravy? Sauce. It's okay, sauce. there we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. Why sauce over gravy? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Gravy just, to me, is just, that's not something I think of Italian. I feel like that's like something you put with like Thanksgiving meal. That, that doesn't, I don't know, like a good, a really good sauce is something you put on pasta. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, that's right. what I was thinking too. And, you know, I'm talking to my dad, who's like a, a New York half Italian. 
He's yeah. like, oh well, no, there, there's a lot of people who 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 say gravy. And I'm like, I I can't believe that. Either. I'm sure so. there are, but the, for for me personally, that's just it doesn't make as much sense to me. If we were going to get into baseball a little bit here and transition over from all the football stuff, all the Italian stuff, and to maybe a little bit of your career on the field, the way you got to Seattle, right? You come over right at the end of the deadline in a trade. I'm sure no player ever expects that to happen to him. Like you don't go into your daily grind thinking that, oh, I'm going to get flipped over to another team one day. But when it actually happens, like how much, how much of a shockwave kind of goes through you, right? Because I have to imagine like that's life-changing, career-changing information you kind of get in one sit down. So like, how do you take all that right off the rip? It was definitely a huge adjustment. Um, Definitely a blessing though as well, just to be able to get an opportunity with Seattle. I did kind of have a feeling that it was coming to a certain degree as well, just like talking with my agent and the tra- obviously the trade dead- deadline coming up at that point. Um, it was it was tough, you know, leaving all the AZ guys because I, I basically went through the org with all those guys like Corbin, Fletcher, Alec Thomas, those guys. I mean, just great guys, great players. So it, it was tough leaving them, but the opportunity was definitely in Seattle and Guys like uh, Gino and and Cal taking me underneath their wing was was huge. Just to be able to come to an or- organization and try to get as comfortable as possible. On your like life to do list when you get traded, like what's the priority list of things you got to keep track of? Because people like forget everything else when you get traded. It's like oh, you got to go play for a different team. But what about everything outside the ballpark? Um, I mean. Yeah, I mean, baseball is just like you just got to focus on, on the next day you get traded. You just got to try to produce for that team and, and do what you can to help them win. And you kind of just let everything else settle in after that. There's there's not much you can do. I mean, you, you have a job to do and, and you got to perform to the best of your ability. So uh, everything outside of that kind of just uh, fall, falls in into place and just got to go from there. But even as something as simple as like finding a place to live, like you'd be in a home game, but staying in a hotel full time. So it feels like you're on the road, but you're actually yeah. supposed to be at home. Like it like if let's say you, you, you got to Phoenix and you're like, man, I love my apartment here. And it's like, oh, by the way, you're trading. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was such a quick transition, though. I was on the road so much with AZ and I, I was basically in a hotel the whole entire time I was with them. Uh, I didn't even really find housing with them yet because I got traded so so quickly after I got called up. So uh, that was a little bit of a blessing, not finding a place, getting everything moved in. But then um, I was in a hotel with Seattle for about a week, and then Cal Cal was able to uh, take me under his wing, and we I lived with him for the rest of the year. So that was that was nice of him to help me out there. What's the best part of Cal Raleigh as a roommate? Um, just the good vibes he brings. I mean, he's such a he's such a great dude. Um, just introducing me to different spots, being able to go out and see it because the I mean, life does speed up on you quickly, especially after you get traded and uh, being the first time I was in the big leagues. I mean, it, it is really hard to sometimes to just sit back and enjoy it because you're just um, not so much worried, but you, you got a lot to do and a lot on your plate. So just being able to like on and off day, actually enjoy yourself and explore new places is something that he, he helped me with and kind of put my mind at ease for sure. What was the thing you found that was what was best? Like what what was the best thing you found for an off day? Um, we didn't have a ton of off days, but ju- just some of the, the good places we got to go eat at. Um, and then obviously I, d- I didn't get too much time, but I definitely want to go hiking and probably some fishing out there. So we'll explore that next year. Does Cal keep his stuff clean as a roommate? Is he pretty tidy or does he leave everything everywhere? <laughs> no, he's, pre- he's pretty tidy. We, we kept that place, uh, pretty neat. I'd say for three guys living in the place at a time for the most part. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're not too dirty. 
Oh, who was the third guy? We had a couple guys going in and out. Caden Marlowe was uh, in and out of there for a while. So uh, kind of a couple different guys were in and out of there. When you saw the Mariners from afar, like before he got traded, which was only really a couple days before, right? Or, or a handful of days before. Like when, obviously you're in the moment and, and you're focused, you're focusing on your own game and playing with Arizona. But when you saw those guys from afar, like, did you have any takeaways about who they were as a team and the players on the team when you faced them? I really didn't. I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect. It's really hard to what, to tell what kind of players they are when you're only playing for like a series. I, was, I wasn't playing every day at that point either. So um, it, it was just nice to come into such a welcoming environment. And um, yeah, they, they did a great job uh, helping me um, be comfortable for sure. So Dom, when you were growing up, one of your first loves of baseball was watching Ken Griffey Jr. as a Red how mm-hmm. did it feel to go to the franchise where he really made the name for himself? Was was it cool? The really cool the first time you met him too? Yeah, for sure. I met him very briefly. I just like introduced myself, and he 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 was uh, busy that day. We had, I think it was the King Felix Day, so uh, I just introduced myself. But it was just obviously an absolute honor to meet him. My favorite player ever growing up, and it's one of those things when you're in BP and it's the first time. I mean, I'm not a center fielder, but I go out the center field uh, just do drill work and stuff, and it, it's cool just to even roam the outfield in the in the same outfield that he was in so it was definitely a special moment the first time I was out there so when you were watching him growing up was the thought of like what he was in Seattle in your mind or was it purely Reds focused it was definitely more Reds focused uh Seattle was a little bit before my time that was when I was super super young so definitely more of a red I'd get, my dad would take me down there probably once a year for spring training games in Florida so um it, it was awesome just to see him that close and um yeah, I mean, he's just a legend. Okay, I want to take you back a little bit. We're kind of going all over the place here, but back to the Arizona stuff and when you got traded to Seattle. I think I heard somewhere that Corbin Carroll said, hey, when you get to Seattle, like if you need anything, my family's there. I've got friends there. They can help you out. Like, did you ever take him up on any of that? No, I didn't. I, I mean, I've, I have uh, I lived with Corbin in spring training uh, two years in a row. So I, I, I know his family decently well, just great people. And, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be a burden like that. I mean, I, I, I could find housing for myself, but I really did appreciate them, uh, reaching out like that. What was it like, Dom, when you were in the Diamondback system, if we're, if we're talking about Corbin, a guy you kind of came up with through the minors and the Diamondbacks, I mean, talk about stacked outfield system. I mean, they, they really had it and you were a pretty huge part of that. How did your game like grow? How did you get better because of all those other guys around you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, as as you said, um, just being around so many great outfielders, you learn little things from from each guy. And uh, we were all left-handed bats and um, a lot of speed guys, so th- they would help me with, with a lot of route stuff in the outfield, especially guys like Corbin, Alec, and, and Fletcher. So they helped me uh, defensively with, with some of that stuff. And then, um, yeah, just being able to talk to them through, through at bats and through an approach is, is something that – I think all of us really enjoyed and we each got better from it. Was playing in AAA in that league in the PCL, is it as easy to hit in that league as everybody says? Because everybody says almost all those bar- ballparks are super hitter friendly. Balls fly there. Home runs go out of the yard left and right. Like, Did you find that to be the case when you were playing there? I would say there's obviously some more hitter friendly parks than others. I'd say Vegas is, is probably the most hitter friendly. Uh, that's where I think you really got to juice your numbers down there. Uh, Reno, the ball flew a little bit, but the, the park is super big. So it was, it was tough to kind of get it out to the gaps. Um, 
as a, as a whole, yeah, it's pro- it's definitely a bit of a, a, hit, a hitter's park league, uh, but there's nothing that compares to uh, the AA Amarillo, Texas. Uh, that stadium's an absolute band box. So I've definitely had my fair share of hitter's parks. And um, yeah, the PCL is definitely hitter friendly, but there are some really tough, tough days to hit there, especially early in the year when it's super cold, when you go to you're in, you're in Tacoma and it's, and it's 30, 40 degrees. So um, yeah, it, it just depends what type, time of year it is. When Lyle says easy, like it, thinking of it in the perspective of like you're walking to the plate knowing like, hey, the ball looks like it's the size of the beach ball or when you make contact, it's just purely the quality of contact coming off your bat. Yeah, I think like when you make contact, if you put a good at bat together, the ball's going to just fly more, yeah. more, more than anything. Because it's, it's way easier. It's, it's way easier to see it at obviously major league ballparks because they have way better batter's eyes. And stuff like that, but from a like a ball trajectory, um, uh, from that from that uh, perspective, it's 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 way easier to just hit more homers, I'd say, and hit for power. So your your time both in college through the minors, I mean, you look at the numbers you put up; they are like gargantuan numbers. So I guess my question off that is, what point in your life, if you've even had it yet, have you said to yourself, "Man, hitting is." is hard. Cause I mean, I can't imagine you struggled much in little league. You crushed it in high school. You crushed it at Ohio state. You crushed it at every level of the minors. Have you even had that yet? Like, have you had a point in your life where it's like, man, I actually feel like hitting a baseball is a hard thing to do. For sure. And I think every, uh, I feel like every hitter has probably gone through that at least once or twice in their career. Um, I've definitely gone through it at least twice. Now the first time was in single a and I was hitting about a buck 20 probably through the first two months of the year. And I was, honestly question myself is, is this really even for me anymore? Cause you get to that point. And then I got injured right after that. I'm three months into the season injured and I'm hitting a buck 20 in single A. I was like, how am I supposed to, you know, even hit at the double A, triple A, or even the major league level. But, um, once I came back, just found a bit of a groove and, um, yeah, I think everybody needs to go through those struggles, um, for sure. And then obviously at the big league level here and there going through some slumps, that's a, uh, definitely an eye opener. And, I think you have to go through those struggles and grow through and, and, and grow from them to just like become a better version of yourself. Through those struggles, was the physical or mental part harder? Mental for sure. I think everything with baseball is is mental. The physical part, I mean, you, your body should be in shape. You should be ready to go. It's, just, it's, it's the mental grind, man. We talked to Ty Adcock earlier, and he... I, you guys didn't play together when you were on the Mariners, but I mean, he it broke down for us like his whole philosophy behind, you know, being mentally ready, keeping himself grounded both on the mound and off the mound as well. And it really helps you become a better pro. What was your philosophy when you were sort of growing mentally in the game of baseball? Just try to like take it day by day. Um, you're obviously going to have some over four days. You're going to strike out. Uh, hitting is probably the hardest thing to do in sports. So you, you really just got to stay po- stay positive with yourself and understand that there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days. And again, just take it day by day and, and uh, just got to keep grinding. Is there anything you feel like you really learned about yourself through your roughly first 60 big league games? Is that there, there's a lot of potential for sure. And I'm just excited to keep working and I'm just excited to be in this organization with an opportunity. So, okay. So off of those first 60 games, who is a pitcher that you now, now that you're in the league, that you a most want to face, 
in terms of difficulty and B most want to face in terms of like friendly rivalry? Oh gosh, definitely for friendly rivalry, definitely got to be a guy from AZ. Um, I want to face Dre Jameson. He, he talks a lot of smack. So I, <laughs> I was good friends with him uh, growing up through the AZ's organization. So I'd like to face him at the big league level uh, one time. That'd be awesome. Hope his recovery is going well. Um, probably the best guys I've faced is definitely Shohei and, and, and Strider. So they, they probably had the best stuff. Um, what was the other question? Uh, oh, actually, you answered both of them. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you from a hitting perspective. What okay. makes Shohei so difficult? Why is Why is he such a good pitcher? Well, he works off of his slider, which is a little bit different. Um, a lot of guys kind of work off their heater, but his slider is so dynamite, and he's really got five electric pitches. I feel like I I put a good uh, first at bat against him, but I ended up tanning on. He threw me his his curveball, which he is like a two or three percent pitch, and I was like, what was that? So. He's definitely got some wipeout stuff that he doesn't even use sometimes. So it's guys like that where they got five pitches that are just five dynamite pitches can can get you with anything. And to yeah. think on top of that, he might be a better hitter than he is a pitcher. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, the, the day we <laughs> the day we uh, faced him, I think he threw five scoreless and hit a two run homer, and we ended up winning the game. That was the day Kate hit that grand slam. So that was a that was a crazy game. But I feel like the Angels had a lot of those games. So uh, are you guys that- when you sit across and watch him? Is it is it awe? Do you guys just sit there kind of like jaw on the floor watching him play? I talked to Cal about this because for me, the, for the first time, it was like jaw on the floor like at, at a couple of the guys. But I think once you face him a couple of times, it's like, all right, I, I've played against this guy before. Like, let's let's get to work type of deal. But I think for a few guys, it's like, okay, yeah, that guy's probably one of the best in the world. So, Okay, I've got two questions off of that. Number one, you, you talked about how when you played those guys that – he hit a two-run homer, he threw five shutout, but you guys still won. I know you're not on social media much, but there is this tweet that resurfaces all the time where it says, it's some random dude who got a lot of traction on it. He says, every Angels game goes like this. It's like Mike Trout hit Mike Trout hits 500 as Shohei does something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Armo Doyle in 1919 as the Angels lose 11 to 6. So what yeah, you just I, I described right there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so I know you're not on social media that much, but that means it's really found its way around it, I guess, if, if it's coming across your feed and everything, right? For sure, yeah. I, yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I've got another question for you, and it's kind of tied to Shohei, because I can hear your dog barking a little bit in the background. I don't know if you're yeah. going to keep it as secret as Shohei tried to, but what's your dog's name? Uh, Peanut. I can go get her real quick. She's just sitting on my bed if you want. <laughs> it's Well, it, it's up to you. Your call. Yeah, I'll, I'll grab her real quick. Okay. She's uh She's she's called. Well, I think this is our first dog appearance. Yeah, Yeah, it is. There we go. Oh, that's adorable. She's a mini golden doodle. I got her during COVID. And I went back to OSU that year. So uh, I got to spend basically like a half year with her and train her. But she's so precious. She's uh, she's so well behaved. I, I got nothing bad to say about her. But a little stubborn. That's about it. You get to take her to Seattle? No, my my dad usually takes takes her uh, in the off season. No bark at the park night. No, no bark <laughs> at the park. Maybe, maybe he'll bring her out. She is technically like a service animal, but you know how that goes. Uh, she she can fly, but would she be good at a bark at the park night? She would not be barking. That's for sure. She would oh, just good. be. Yeah, she'd be in my dad's lap, probably not not saying much and just enjoying the smells. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Speaking of social media, by the way. 
I swear, some of these Mariners fans can find anything on social media. And with you, there's a picture of you. I think it was one of the years you were at Ohio State. And you're like doing a mean face for one of your yearly photos. Like, is there a story behind that? Or did you just say when you took the picture that year? All right. Like, like, I'm going to go with a mean face. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, which one it was, but um, I'm trying to, I don't even was, know if I like, had like the bat right here. Was that what it yeah, was? Yeah. And you're, you've kind of got like your oh, teeth yeah, are like kind of showing. Smug look. Yeah. That I, I think every single, every single person that you just had like one picture there, they just did something stupid. And that was, that was my look. <laughs> for that year. That's a good one. Dom, like uh, we've heard this comparison thrown out a little bit about you. And, and I kind of wanted to ask you about it when it comes to your swing. I don't know how familiar you are with Mitch Haniger, but like doing some reading for this interview and seeing people sort of comp your swing to Mitch Haniger, was there like someone you were trying to mold your swing after when you were coming up? Because it, it is, tell me if I'm lo- uh, wrong, maybe a tiny bit unorthodox, like a little bit, a little bit overly crouched and a little bit open, more than yeah, more sure. than some would be. Like, w- was there someone you were you were going after with that? Uh, not really, to be honest, because my cha- my uh, my swing has actually changed a ton over the years, especially in college. I used to be my first two years, I was basically just a slap hitter, and my hitting coach basically told me, uh, "You, you got to get some more power if you if you want to get drafted." So, I uh, implemented the leg kick basically my junior year. So that was the first time, and it's been a work in progress ever since. I mean, it's 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 been working, but every single day, I mean, there's something something a little tweak. Maybe you can make it a, a little bit better. So it's, it's always a work in progress. Okay. When that swing is worked to the fullest, what I think of is that home run against the Orioles, which if I've got one final question before we get to kind of five fun ones, before we really end this thing, mm-hmm. like number one, is that just the best feeling in the world? I mean, you're talking about sweet spotting a baseball beyond belief. It goes a country mile, majestic shot. Like, is there a better feeling in the world than, than that? I really don't think there is, especially just the hollow feeling. You just know it's gone off the bat. You can look at it for a second. Um, obviously, wish we could have won that game, but at the same time, just a, a memory that I'll definitely never forget. And awesome being my first home run with with the Mariners, and and that's kind of the first uh, big moment that the Mariners kind of got to to see me, and so that that was super special just to share that with the fans, especially. And when when you make contact with that ball, do you like no idea what kind of bat flip you're going to do, or is that just like, do you black out and just something happens? Yeah, it's more of a blackout type of thing. Especially I think since I'm a little bit younger, but uh, once I'll get once hopefully a, a few more happen that uh, I'll be able to tame it down a little bit. <laughs> do you do you, do you have any ideas though of like some ones you you want to do without showing up whoever you're pitching? Uh, I mean, I'd rather do something a little bit more subtle than that. Uh, obviously, I'm not, I'm not practicing bat flips in my off time, but I think it's just some, like a kind of spur of the moment type of deal where it kind of just happens. Well, if you model it after your guy Griffey, you can do the drop. Yeah, I got to get that one-handed finish down though too. So we'll we'll, we'll see if I can work on that one. <laughs> Is that the coolest moment in your career to this point, or do you have another that comes to mind? Because you were, I mean, you were fired up after that home run. You had every right to be. For sure. That one's definitely number one. And I think number two was uh, the first big league homer off Strider was pretty special. So uh, that one was an AZ, but definitely a, a close second. Okay. If we've got five, we've got five questions for you, Dom, to wrap this up. And they're fun questions, just a way for some Mariners fans to get to know a little bit more about you. But the first one we've got for you is your go-to pregame and postgame meal is what? Okay. Every single morning, pretty much I have 
eggs and ground beef with a fruit smoothie so that I got to have that before pretty much every morning when it's a home game, of course, when I can cook. Uh, I love Chipotle, so anytime I can get Chipotle in the system, that's a great day. Uh, that's probably the pregame meal that I like to go to. What about postgame? Postgame meal, just just some carbs, man. I'm I'm, I'm gassed, burned a lot of calories. Uh, I mean, pasta is obviously pretty good, but um, the Mariners have been doing a pretty good job. We've got some great chefs back there. Uh, definitely some fillets and, and lobster. I, I can can never turn that down. Okay, next question is your three favorite TV shows of all time. Okay, so we got Breaking Bad, The Office, and I just watched, um, I think season two is coming out, a new show called uh, Tulsa King uh, hmm. on, on Paramount+. Plus. I really liked it. Hmm. Never What's seen What's that it? about? Uh, just a, a mobster. Uh, it's got uh, Sylvester Stallone in it. Oh. Okay. And good reviews so far? Yeah, I, I really liked it. So if you guys are need a show, go for it. All right. I'll take you up on that. All right. Third question, best and worst baseball road trip you've made. It could be majors or minors. Best road trip. Gosh. Um, I really like Toronto. Toronto is an awesome spot. Um, I hate to say it. Uh, I mean, Texas and Houston had, had great ballparks. That was cool. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of really good ones. Those are probably some of the top three. Um, let's see. Worst ones. I don't want to, I mean, I didn't, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dog on any, uh, any stadium. So I'll just, I'll, I'll keep that one to myself. The fifth. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no nightmare minor league road trip stories or anything like that. Oh, minor, minor league road trip stories. Gosh. Oh yeah. in rookie ball. Um, I was in Missoula, Montana and we had a 10 hour road trip to the middle of Utah. I don't even remember where we were going. I just gotten off the bus and then um, my, my manager said that I got called up to short season ball right after I got off the trip. I had all my stuff back in Missoula. So that was an absolute mess to only go for a month and had to get all my stuff to uh, Hillsboro. So that was probably the worst by far, just a 10 hour bus trip onto a plane and then onto another bus for a game and play that same day. So that was pretty brutal. I've got one follow-up with that because, I mean, just thinking about from going all the way from where you were in rookie ball to get into the majors, are big league hotels like as nice as people dream about them being? Like I know when I was a kid and grew up about like trying to dream of being a big league ball player, you think, oh, these hotels have to be just over the top nice. Like does it live up to the hype you have in your head as a kid? I think so. Yeah, uh-huh. they're, 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 they're pretty nice. I, I can't okay. – I got no complaints on them. Okay. <laughs> The fourth question, Dom, is what would you be doing if you weren't playing baseball? Oh, gosh. I have absolutely no clue. It kind of just never like came across um, across my mind. I, I would love to open up a, a shoe store maybe one day, but I don't know if I would have had the income initially to, to do that just right out of college. So, I mean, shoe trading is a very tough business to get into, but I do love shoes. So that probably that would probably be my next passion. How many pairs of shoes do you own? Uh, in my closet, probably at least 25 to 30 right now. Ooh. That's honestly, for, I will say for someone, like you said, you love shoes. That seems a little low. Yeah, no, for sure. There's there's definitely some uh, some more pairs I got to get, but that's down the road. Are, is, are you a basketball shoe guy or is it something different? I love I loved Jordan 1, so I have a ton of those. I love dunks, so I have a bunch of those. And then just a couple of Jordan fours, a couple of Jordan fives. Um, some of the old, I like some of the old LeBrons I used to wear as a kid when I used to play AU basketball. So I got those pairs from just like uh, 
nostalgic type of deal. So that's kind of what I got. You ever talked to Brian Wu about that? We asked him something similar early in the year. He's like, dude, I can't even count how many shoes I own. Yeah, I mean, I, I know he's a he's a shoe guy as well, but we haven't necessarily gone back and forth on what, what he's got. Okay. All right, last one for you. Favorite all-time baseball player, past or present? And I'll have you pick one more because I know you talked about Griffey. So if you had to pick somebody past junior, who else would you would you put on there? So I can't pick Griffey. Gosh. Um, that's a tough one. I really liked uh, Robinson Cano's swing. He was probably my my second favorite player growing up. So, yeah, he had probably the smoothest swing. I loved how he played second base, just so uh, laid back. So definitely him. That's another bat drop you could try and uh... – try and try and model his yeah, his like in terms of like griffey's number one but cano hmm. might be number two yeah or uh carlos gonzalez had, had a really hmm. good, pretty swing and a good bat bat drop for sure it sounds like maybe you were destined to be a mariner griffey robinson cano <laughs> one and two like that lines yeah. up pretty well dom yeah for sure I, I think it was just meant to be yeah well seriously this has been awesome we appreciate all the time you gave us to sit here and and talk for a little bit because we've enjoyed talking to you and hearing a little bit a little bit more about you and hope to do it again soon of course man i appreciate you guys having me on really appreciate dom canzone taking some time to join us before we wrap up this episode a word from BetterHelp: is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a tough time Therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's better com slash marine layer pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod all right that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the marine layer podcast you guys know the drill if you want to listen to the full form podcast do so wherever you get your audio pods make sure to follow the show download leave us that five-star review the reviews and downloads help us out big time you know what else helps us out a bunch if you like comment subscribe on youtube where our full video podcast is and then check us out on social media too we're on instagram tiktok twitter youtube shorts at marine layer pod That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.